0: Welcome to the Property Management Brainstorm Show with Bob Preston. Bob is the president, owner, and broker of North County Property Group, the fastest growing and top ranked property management company in North County, San Diego. This podcast is for property owners and investors who are considering hiring a professional property management company to manage their property assets. You'll hear from leading professionals on the best practices surrounding the San Diego rental market, what's involved in successfully renting your property, and how to make sure your property is managed correctly. Now, here is your host, Bob Preston.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Property Management Brainstorm podcast. I'm Bob Preston, the host of the show. And we're broadcasting here today from our little studio in Del Mar, California, and the North County Property Group office. Today, we're going to be talking about short-term rentals, which are sometimes called vacation rentals. And the current situation regarding new Sydney ordinances, not only in Del Mar, but in many of the cities along the Southern California coast. And sort of for the abbreviation, these are known as STRs. And this topic has been getting a lot of attention, particularly in the Del Mar area, and I'm fortunate enough to have here today discuss this topic a person who has been right in the thick of some of these decision processes, our new mayor of Del Mar, Dwight Wardens. So, Dwight, thank you for joining us today. Oh, I'm pleased to be here, Bob. Yeah, this is fun. We're neighbors and I rarely get a chance to sit down with you like yeah. this. So, our dogs talk. Our dogs talk do. and bark on the driveway. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty funny when that goes on. And so, what I thought we could dive right into it is maybe you can just start by telling us briefly about yourself, how you got into being a part of the city council, and the process of becoming mayor of Del Mar.
0: I've been in the area since 1970. In fact, I used to live across the street from your office here. Uh, I graduated from law school here. I opened a law practice in 1975. I retired from active practice in 2001. While I was in practice, I was the city attorney for Del Mar for about seven years, and I represented local governments oh, no kidding. throughout the county. yeah. Okay. And uh, I served a stint on the Coastal Commission as a governor's appointee and also as a president of the Senate appointee. I served a term on the Solana Beach School Board. So I've been engaged in local government as a lawyer and a participant for years. And then when I turned 68, I went, you know, I've always thought before I die, (laughs) <laughs> I, it would be interesting to be on the other side of the table and, uh-huh. and make policy instead of be the advisor. And I realized, uh-huh. oh my gosh, I'm getting old. If I don't run now,
1: <laughs> when am I going to do? You it? May not have a
0: chance. <laughs> so in uh, 2014, I did run for Del Mar City Council and was elected to the council.
1: Okay, and then what was the process of becoming mayor? It's not an official election, is it? Is it sort of a? Right. Right. In California, there are two kinds of cities, Mm -hmm. strong mayor governments where Mm -hmm. the
0: mayor is independently elected and has a lot of power Mm -hmm. and then council manager forms. And we're a council manager form, meaning all five council members have equal power and we rotate the mayorship every year.
1: Okay, so the, the gavel sort of gets passed.
0: Right. So the only difference is I have some control over the agenda, and if mm-hmm. there's babies to be kissed or ribbons to be cut. Right. The you're the, you're the
1: public PR person, right. the point exactly. person for doing things like this, too. We're exactly. really glad we're really glad you're here. Well, it's got to be an interesting time to take over as mayor, and I had the pleasure of reading your little sandpiper write-up. I'm assuming that was you who put that in there about your priorities. Yes. and. Are there any priorities in your agenda that are more emotionally charged perhaps than the short-term rental? Uh, probably not, although we have some that are close. We are in the midst
0: sure. of a debate whether we're going to divorce the sheriff and oh. start our own police department okay. or whether we're going to stay with the sheriff for the long term. Uh, we're starting to get some controversy around our sea level rise planning. Right. Uh, but I think it's fair to say short-term rentals has been the most contentious issue We've had, although we're not unique in Del Mar in that, up and down the coast, coastal right. cities. Have San nice. Diego
1: is dealing with it. I saw that they struggled to get something passed. Slotter Beach, Carlsbad, Laguna Beach. Do you, do you stay Beach, tapped into Beach. those communities and oh, kind of what's going on?
0: On short-term rentals, absolutely. Okay. Yes, I do.
1: And all of them are kind of struggling with this. They're issue. all
0: struggling and they all have different circumstances and they mm-hmm. don't all share a common approach. But I think the I'll call it a situation rather than a problem because right. it depends on your perspective. The situation is the same for all these cities, which is in the last five years or so, the number of short-term rentals has just exploded Mm -hmm. because of the internet. Uh, Historically, there were always some of these, but if you had to run an ad in a paper or you had to personally interview tenants, a lot of people didn't want to do that, where now you can list with Airbnb or VRBO. And these
1: individual homeowners can do that instead of using companies like like us, right? Exactly.
0: So uh, nationally, the number of short-term rentals has tripled in the last, I think, five years. My goodness. And in Del Mar and in coastal California, it's been even higher than that.
1: What might be good is to take just a minute and make sure all our listeners are aware of what exactly we're talking about in the, okay. by defining short-term rental. And my understanding, and I think this is probably pretty commonplace, is that we're talking about rentals that are less than 30 days Yes. There are accommodations that are fully furnished and all the amenities are provided. Typically, utilities are paid. There's cable. There's Wi-Fi. There's kitchen utensils. Everything you need to, to come in and enjoy your vacation while you're on a short-term stay. That That's true? the most typical experience, but mm-hmm. there
0: are variants of that. For example, you can have somebody who stays in their house and just rents a room on a short-term okay. basis. Right. That's sure. That's called an in-home rental. Okay. You can have home exchanges, swaps, sure. And and th- those are a little bit different, but the most common experience is a family that, for whatever reason, doesn't want a hotel or a motel experience. Right. They want to have a house and they want to come in and be able to cook in the kitchen and hang out and do yeah. all that. So, what you described is the most
1: common. Okay. And the term vacation rentals is tossed around sometimes. Is that essentially the same thing, or do you prefer to use short term rentals? I think short term rentals to me is a little more precise
0: because most short-term rentals are vacation rentals. But for example, if you want to go visit your parents on the East Coast over Christmas and you want to rent your house out, or if you've got a visiting professor from another university, those can fall in the short-term category, but they're not really vacation. They're they're other motivations. 30,
1: they might be 30 days or longer, too. If they're 30 days or longer, they're not a short-term rental. Right, but they could be a vacation rental, I guess. It could be, be a vacation rental. We have a lot of 30-day rental pluses in our portfolio. A lot of condo associations, for example, Mm -hmm. have that as part of their HOA. We have a lot of snowbirds that come in during the winter. They'll stay for two or three months. And we still call those vacation rentals, but they're not technically short-term. Well, that's that's a good point, too. Uh, you, You can have a rental
0: for a vacation that's longer than 30 days. That would be perfectly legal. Okay. And what's the magic number with
1: 30 days? Is there a- Why
0: is that a magic number? Yeah. Uh, I think the fairest answer is as follows. There is no magic to it. Would it be just as good if it were 31 days or 29 days? Probably. But in zoning and government, it's a process of line dra- drawing. Is 65 the right speed limit on the freeway? Why not not 67 or 63? Well, there isn't a reason other than you have to draw a line somewhere. And the 30-day limit does have some precedent in that under California landlord tenant law, if you are there longer than 30 days, that triggers certain rights in Mm -hmm. your tenancy. Where if it's fewer than 30 days, then you're treated as a licensee rather than a tenant. Mm -hmm. And it's different. But there's no real magic to that other than it's kind of a rule of thumb that's been accepted in the industry.
1: That's interesting. We actually have two different agreements that the the California Bureau of Real Estate requires of us. It's less than 30 days. It's a vacation rental agreement. Right. And if it's longer, then it's actually a lease. Right. you're leasing for more than 30 days. And so well,
0: actually, you, you probably know more than me about this, but if it's fewer than 30 days and you want to get the person out for whatever reason, right. you don't not have to go through a formal unlawful right. detainer action and all that if if it's 30 days or longer, yeah. you, you do. That's correct.
1: Right. Okay. So I think one thing that makes Del Mar kind of unique is that vacation rentals in Del Mar go all the way back as race rentals to the days of heyday of the of the racing season, Desi, Lucy, Jimmy Durani, all this kind of thing. So I think you've talked uh, a little bit about what, what has changed with the internet. Is that the only thing that's changed in Delmar or the price of homes, the, the amount of rent that can be collected, maybe the number of outside investors? Do you guys track other factors as well? We
0: do, and lots of other things have changed. But let me comment on the first premise because, and I'll do this carefully because it's an important issue and it's mm-hmm. charged. Mm-hmm. In our community plan, There is one paragraph that talks about transient rentals. Sure as historically existing in Del Mar. And it describes people coming for the racing season Mm -hmm. or owners that own a vacation home in Del Mar and who come for the summer. It doesn't say anything about short-term renting in the way that we know it now. Now, there are people who anecdotally say, yeah, well, my parents were doing it back in the 70s or my family did it in the 80s. So there's some indication that it was going on, but it was at a pretty low level. And it really, the major change is the explosion of intensity from the internet. But Mm -hmm. other things that have changed And from my perspective as a city person, we have obligations under state law and under our own community plan to meet designated affordable housing goals, which means we have to have an available rental stock at certain rates. Mm -hmm. And one of the unintended consequences of short-term renting is some of those properties in the rental inventory or being used, converted to short-term rentals. Interesting. If you own a home and let's say you're renting it in Del Mar for $1,400 a month, and then you realize, hmm, I can rent this in three-day increments and make 10 times that amount, right. you might take that out of that you're market. You're
1: blocking a, a percentage of the population from being able to stay right. and live And that impacts us
0: as a city because it, it's it's an erosion of our housing stock.
1: Yep. I read a quote of yours. I think it was a quote that you said, gee, there, there are very few issues worth kind of fighting for right. at the city level. And one of them is the protection of our neighborhoods. Yes. I, I'm paraphrasing, but it was along that line. I said there are
0: very few issues worth dying on the Well, I didn't want storm, to use but, that. Which is, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about it as an odd way to say it, but yeah. th- that are seminal uh, to me. And, and that's not just my personal value, but mm-hmm. to me at the core of this whole issue of how to manage and regulate short-term rentals is we start with our community plan Mm -hmm. which was voter adopted, and our zoning. What do the rules allow? And my principal duty as an elected official is to the best of my ability enforce those rules. And those rules written through our community plan and zoning say the number one priority is to preserve the residential neighborhoods of Del Mar and to separate commercial from residential. Okay, because
1: there are some zoning issues that have been identified in the new proposed ordinance. We'll get into those a little bit later, I think, in more detail. But There's a residential commerce, the RC zone, which is more where hotels or the retail. Portion, right. If
0: you know Del Mar, Camino Del Mar is our mm-hmm. business district and mm-hmm. its own central commercial. If you go a block towards the ocean, it switches to residential and our zone, but in between it's zoned RC, which is residential commercial, which basically says you can use your property 60% commercial and 40% residential. So it's intended okay. to be a transition zone. And we have interpreted that zone to allow unlimited short-term renting.
1: And is that what you call visitor commercial? BC?
0: No, that's a separate zone. Okay. We have an RC. C, which is the residential commercial. Okay. And we have a VC, which is called visitor commercial. And in the visitor commercial zone, hotels, motels, and short-term renting is allowed. And so this is part of the schema where residential uses are separated from the commercial and what short-term renting, at least at the full-time property-managed mini hotel kind of thing, mm-hmm. in my opinion, that breaks that down. You're introducing in sure. areas that should be residential, these more intensive commercial
1: uses. So neighborhoods like where you and I live, those are clearly homes right. that are meant for full-time residents. Right. And that's, those are the neighborhoods we're really talking about. Yes. Okay. So if I am clear, I'm kind of summarizing what I've read and what I've heard about kind of the two points of view, the pro and the con. Go for it. And I'm Switzerland here. I don't, I'm not going to go on either side, but maybe you can just kind of confirm and add some comments. So on one side, you have property owners who want to rent short-term and they see regulation as a violation of their civil rights in some ways, right? And a disservice to vacationers would like to come stay and Some have even pointed to financial hardship of the regulations with the need to rent their house to be able to afford living here, and also a harm to the city's retail business by discouraging tourism. So that's one side, I think. And then the other side is the full-time residents who see short-term rentals as eroding their neighborhood, turning their quiet residential streets into commercial hotel zones, people coming and going, lots of partying, perhaps, unregulated parking noise control and things like that. Is that a fair? I think fair, that's, that's
0: quite fair, and it's okay. well summarized. There's a third perspective, and that's the one I mentioned about affordable housing goals and housing stock sure. and inventory issues. That's sort of out
1: of the mind of the typical re- uh, well, resident, but, though, right? I mean, you guys have to think yeah, about that.
0: Yeah, that's for us. That's right. on our plate.
1: Okay, interesting. And so where are we today? Maybe that's a good place to jump to. This has come before the city council. You guys have done some voting on this. You've passed what you hope will become a law or ordinance. So maybe using the proper vernacular and the description, maybe you can kind of bring us up to speed on where we are today. Okay, I'll summarize where we
0: are. Last spring,
1: we did a
0: formal interpretation of our zoning uh, to to clarify which zone short-term renting is currently allowed in and which it isn't. And we identified that that's okay, that's the existing rules, that's the baseline. Now we wanted to take a look. Are are those doors shut too tightly? Should, should there be a loosening up? Sure. And so the second phase we went into was to look at that perspective. And that perspective resulted in an ordinance that we just adopted last month, I think, mm-hmm. which we call the 728. Right. Which says in all the residential zones where it's not currently allowed at all you will be able to rent your place short-term, meaning for less than 30 days, in a minimum seven-day increment and for a maximum of 28 days per year.
1: Okay. And owners are required to register, I understand, somehow. Yeah, but it's like it's, we're, we're trying to make that very simple, like a
0: postcard. You just okay. tell us your name, your address, and the dates you intend to rent it. Okay. And no limit, like we mentioned, on rentals of 30 days or more. You want to rent more than 30 days, you can do it to your heart's delight. So, for example, let's say you own a house in the Beach Colony in Del Mar, and you would really like to do something for the summer. And you look at this and say, well, how can I do that in 28 days? Mm-hmm. Well, you can rent for the racing season, which is typically six, six weeks, mm-hmm. and that's not using up any of your short-term rental allocation. Then right. you can do another 28 days in seven-day increments, and you could pretty much cover the summer season if that's what you want to do. Right.
1: Okay. And if I'm interpreting this right, it's somewhat of a compromise, your new ordinance. It's a in-between kind of... I describe it as a compromise because mm-hmm. I think it is a compromise.
0: There was, uh, as you summarized, one half of our community that said, stop these things altogether. Just shut them down. Yep. Just, just even one for one day is too much. There was the other side that said, look, these are our property rights. We have a right to do this as much mm-hmm. as we want to. Mm-hmm. So this is a compromise in that sense although there's a lot of
1: people that are unhappy with it. Sure. Well, like you say, like we already talked about, there are people on both sides of the fence, and this is kind of an in-between solution that allows people to do it with some regularity, uh, although maybe not as much as they would like to, and also limits it.
0: Yeah, and if I can explain why we think that's a compromise, the issue is we wanted to preserve the integrity of our residential zoning and our residential neighborhoods. And the council concluded after hundreds of hours of testimony and study that if you own a house and you go away maybe for Thanksgiving and Christmas or you go away for a month in the summer and you want to rent it out to somebody else, you haven't fundamentally changed the nature of the neighborhood. You're Mm -hmm. still there most Mm -hmm. of the year. Your kids are still in the local school. You're still participating in community activities. The fabric of that neighborhood isn't broken. Right. And that justifies the 728 opening of the door as legitimately a residential use that's allowed there. But now, on the other hand, if you are a property manager and you're going to have a stable of homes and rent them full-time on a short-term basis, now you're breaking the fabric of the community. We've, just said, we've defined that as that's commercial. You can do that in Del Mar, but go to the RC zone or the visitor commercial or one of the others.
1: Okay, perfect. And this ordinance applies to those other two categories we talked about. The house swapping and also renting a room. Is there, is there a proper term that's used for the kind of the Airbnb rent-a-room thing? Is it- I think it's called, a, does have a phrase, it's either home sharing. Home sharing. I no, think it's called a, home yeah, sharing. Yeah, home sharing, that's what I've seen. And
0: property exchanges, what we did, which is what most cities have done. If you just trade homes, if I trade homes with you for a week, mm-hmm. that, that's not subject to these regulations. But if I trade my home to you through a broker, so that there's money being exchanged. Now it is subject to the 728. So a commercial exchange is subject to the 728 rules, but a non-commercial homeowner to homeowner is not.
1: Okay. All right. Makes sense. And is this a done deal at this point, or are there other hurdles that still have to be? It's it's a done deal in this sense,
0: in that we went through two years of hearings. We've adopted the ordinance. This was not a fast decision. and I know you've been in the thick of it. A lot of political blood, sweat, and tears (laughs) on the ground from all parties, including me. But we do have a final ordinance, first reading, second reading, uh, the 30 days have passed. So it's final in that sense. It's not final in that we have to go to a coastal commission and get them to certify it as part of our local coastal program. And it's not final in that some homeowners have sued us, over right. it. So are, if, some alliances
1: have formed, I yeah. understand, that so are, are
0: there, it? A judge could change what we've done or overturn it. So okay.
1: it's kind of final, but not really. What kind of time frame are we looking at?
0: For Coastal, which to me is the most significant hurdle, and we can talk about their perspective if you want, but we are filing our new ordinance this month with Coastal Commission. And the latest word is we'll probably get heard in about a year. Okay. Because they're backed up. So it'll sit there. And then probably in 10 months or so, they'll pick it up and start studying it. We'll then be dealing with them and having public hearings at Coastal. If they approve it, then it is a done deal, okay. except for litigation. Right.
1: So you're looking probably a couple years out. And in the meantime, yeah. are we under the moratorium that was no. adopted? Or what?
0: Is- uh, moratoriums have a time limit under California law. They can't go longer than a certain time period. So okay. ours, we ended a little bit early but we adopted what we're calling a forbearance period. Okay, I was going to ask about that. Meaning if you were operating a short-term rental and you qualified under our moratorium, meaning you you didn't have to shut it down, you met certain criteria, Mm -hmm. then we will not take enforcement action against you unless and until Coastal Commission approves it. Because what we don't want to do is tell somebody, hey, you're in violation, you've got to shut down, and then Coastal makes us change it in some way. So it's kind of a hold the phone, Mm -hmm. Until Coastal makes a final decision for those people who qualified under the moratorium. Now, if you want to go out tomorrow and start a new one, we probably are going to come after you for for enforcement. But if you've been doing it for years, you can still do it under the forbearance period.
1: So if you had qualified under the moratorium, most of those people had already submitted their information and documentation to the city.
0: Most people did. And to qualify for the moratorium, you just had to prove up that you'd actually been doing this for some period of time Uh, and that you were legitimately engaged
1: in it. We we had several properties that met that criteria. So in terms of future bookings for companies like ours, I mean, what, what would you recommend? I mean, should we be just blindly booking people out into the future? Or what happens when the Coastal Commission, if they approve it, what's going to happen to all those people who may have booked stays you know outside of that time frame well here's uh and this advice is probably worth what you're paying for it, which is nothing
0: but <laughs> if I were in the business I would be thinking of the following okay, okay if I'm booking out a year or two I better start alerting people that this whole issue is in play of course and from their perspective some of it isn't heading in a good direction the second thing I, that there might be some risk yeah there the, might be a,
1: the reservation might
0: have to be canceled right The second thing I'd look at would be to tell people who own homes that are engaged in short term renting to start thinking about their options. All right. Right now, if they qualify under the moratorium, they don't have to do anything. They can Mm -hmm. keep short term renting, but it's time to start thinking, can I transition? Can I make this 728 thing work for me or not? And if I can't make it work for me, can I switch to a 30 days or longer rental model and make my property work for me in Mm -hmm. that market? And if not, then my options are, OK, reverting this to some kind of single family home. And do I want to live in it or do I want to sell it? Sure. And think through those options. And I don't think there's going to be a one answer fits everybody.
1: I guess the other option would be renting it long, truly long term for a one year lease or something like that, which is typically unfurnished. Absolutely. But so investors could still get a return on their. Investment
0: yeah. Price. I mean, and from our city perspective, that's what we would hope some people at least would do. Because that helps our housing stock and our affordability mm-hmm. goals. Yeah. So that visiting professor from MIT, who's going to be at UCSD for a year, right, can move here and rent, bring the family, live in Del Mar, be part of the community. Uh, that kind of thing is unaffected. And- right.
1: Perfect. That's about 65% of our portfolio. So of all the properties we have in our management, about 35% are what we consider vacation rentals. Some of those are short-term, some are 30 days, and then about 65 are long-term. Then- Bless you, my son. Yeah. You, won't, you will not have any trouble from us for that. So now the big question, enforcement. So yes. how is this going to work? I mean, I think right now we have a one-person code enforcement team. I, I know Patty Malik personally, she yeah. and I are 1st name basis because she's been to my house many times for, yeah. uh, you know, for things I don't want to share. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, there's got, I mean, I just don't know how you're going to do it here's how I think we're going to do it. But before I say that,
0: let me just sort of define some of the parameters and challenges. One of the reasons that was in favor of just having a clear, bright line, no short-term renting in the R zones, yes, in the RC and VC, -hmm. because then you could hire somebody once a week to come in, dial up the internet. If you see an ad for a short-term rental in an R zone, you know it's a violation because they're not allowed at all. By opening the door to this compromise of 728, we've muddied that water a little bit. Now I look up on the internet and I see Bob Preston's renting over here, but I don't know. Maybe you're within your 728 rights. Maybe Mm -hmm. you're not. That's why we would get a registration from you, a simple postcard. Somebody would look, okay, that address... Yep. He's, he's registered. Is part of that to notify the city when we
1: actually yes. are using up those? Yes. Days? okay. So that we right.
0: would know when we see that somebody's there or a neighbor complains and says, hey, my neighbor's short-term renting a house. We could look up and see, yep, you signed up for that. That's one of your dates. And if you do that, let's say you go, well, I don't know a year in advance when I'm going to do this. You could put down a date and then if it changes, you would just simply change it because our only motivation would be able to distinguish people who are within the rules right. and those who aren't. So it's a bit of a complication. It does require some staffing. Most cities, what they've done is imposed TOT, transient occupancy tax. Right. Like and Delmars elected not to do that. And right. use the money to fund mm-hmm. the enforcement. We've elected mm-hmm. not to do that, mm-hmm. trying to not make this a money issue because it really isn't a money issue. It's mm-hmm. a neighborhood integrity and a, and a trying to find a, Compromise ground in the community, and it's not about revenue generation.
1: Interesting. I don't know if you remember this, but we have a second home in Mammoth in the mountains, and the town of Mammoth has struggled with this issue for years. Yeah, you've got your condos and hotels that, uh, and, and Mammoth has an extremely, especially during the winter, an extremely high transient population. Yes, like on a weekend, you know, eighty percent of the people in town are transient, right? right? And so then you have your neighborhoods that are being, trying to be protected. Well, we had because it's a second home and we have our family using it, we had an online calendar. Mm-hmm. And the city found it online, <laughs> right? And so weekends, 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 weekends. And they came after us and, oh. and wanted to charge us for for all the short... And I was trying to explain. No, this is our family calendar. They they want nothing to do about. It. We have to go to a hearing to prove that we weren't. Like. We
0: don't want to get in tangled up in all mm-hmm. that chasing money. We don't want the guys in the big brown boots knocking on your door saying, "I have to count how many people are in the bedrooms to see if yeah. you're in in uh, compliance or not." And a lot of the cities have taken that strategy. We're going to allow short term rentals, but no more than two people per bedroom, and you have to have parking and This and that. That takes enforcement to a whole other level, yeah. and then the financial enforcement is also right. at another level. So so we're trying. Ours is a bit novel in that we're saying, look, you're going to get this 728 privilege. that's mm-hmm. going to be allowed in Sony. Send us a postcard. Just tell us when you're going to use it and we're going to leave you alone.
1: So take out your crystal ball now. This is getting into Dwight's opinion of okay. kind of the future of short term rentals. I, we, we kind of know where Del Mar said it, but throughout California, other states, what's your what's your feeling? I mean, is everything going to kind of go in this direction of perhaps being restricted somewhat? I have schizophrenic feelings which are probably <laughs> reflective of the real world.
0: Uh-huh. On one hand, the whole sharing economy movement, whether it's Uber and Lyft or... That's not going, going away, right. yeah. It's not only not going away, it's growing. And right. people love it. And mm-hmm. in a lot of circumstances, it works really well. On the other hand... The short-term rental movement is poaching on housing, driving up rental costs and running counter to statewide affordability goals for housing. And it is imposing conflict in a lot of traditionally residential neighborhoods, particularly in high tourist areas that are Mm -hmm. problematic. So yeah, it's tearing at the fabric and all the coastal cities are wrestling with this. It's controversial in every city. There's no perfect answer yeah, we just kind of don't
1: know yet, I think. But uh, no. the indication is there that it's on, on, on the radar of a lot of communities, I think in particularly long coastal communities in yes. Southern California and the Bay Area. I know And either way, it's certainly a topic we're tracking and watching. So if you are an owner of a second home and you've been thinking about doing this and depending upon that income. To afford your home, you should probably think twice. I mean, I think that's a fair
0: I think you should, and that's I mean, let me phrase it this way. There's no doubt in my mind there's good people on both sides of this issue. Of course, sure. Absolutely. And I've yeah. met with groups of people in the business of short-term renting mm-hmm. and people on the other side. There are lots of good people on both sides. And I there are people who are going to be hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, if you just barely will were able to afford your home in Del Mar and you're counting on that you know, nine months a year of short-term money to pay your mortgage, you're going to you're gonna have an issue. But to me, that doesn't override our obligation as a city to enforce our zoning and planning, which says commercial stuff over here, residential over here.
1: I think that's one good thing if about this in Del Mar is that it's a pretty tight population. We've got, what, around 5,000? 4,200. 4,200 residents versus San Diego, who's got Right. La Jolla, Pacific Beach, Mission Beach. Oh, my goodness. That must be just so complicated.
0: Well, and to give you an idea, in Del Mar, there's 4,200 people, about 2,500 households, and we get 2 million people that visit the beach every year. Mm-hmm. Another 3 million who come to the fairgrounds. Mm-hmm. So we're like Mammoth. We have a small population base paying the property taxes and paying for the services and a huge tourist influx. So, and we have, as a city, an obligation to accommodate our fair share of those people who want to come and visit. And we're trying to do that. Our short-term rental program
1: is part of that. There are other pieces of it that fit into that puzzle as well. Great. Well, Dwight, this has been fantastic, filled with lots of great information. Thank you so much for taking time. I know you're a busy guy and we really appreciate you having us for having having you on the podcast. So thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Bob. It was good fun. Yeah, good fun. Well, that concludes today's episode. Thank you for all of our listeners for joining the Property Management Brainstorm podcast. Until next time, we will be in the field working hard for our clients to maximize their property value and income and maintain top tenant relations. And I will see you next time. Thank you so much for joining.